You're listening to Church Unplugged, the podcast of Christ Community Chapel. In each episode, we look at questions and topics that are related to our faith in Jesus and the way that it plays out in our everyday lives. In this episode, we answer the question, does God choose us or do we choose him? So when we think about the process of how we begin following Jesus, is that something that we start or is that something that God starts? How does all of that work? Welcome in to Church Unplugged. Welcome into Church Unplugged. I'm Jimmy Cozy, part of the leadership team here at CCC. I've got with me today Joe Coffey, our lead pastor, Zach Wyrock, the director of Orchard NEO, which is our church planting initiative, and Mike Holwerda, who is also a member of our leadership team. Our question today is, does God choose us or do we choose him? So with a conversation like this, there are a lot is a lot of terminology, and we want to be careful to make sure we define terminology. But some of the words that you see in Scripture are things like predestination, election. It has to do with the process by which we come to belong to God. Is it something that he initiates and he does, or is it something that we primarily initiate? How does, how does all of that work? That's the question we're trying to answer today. Yeah, to me, I think the fundamental question here that maybe precedes this question is, uh, on our own, what are we capable of spiritually? Because in order for me to believe that I initiate my relationship with God, I would have to believe that inherently, intrinsically, I have some ability to get to God on my own, that I can, uh, at least on a percentage level, a portion level, get to God. And I I think the difficulty, as I read the New Testament, is it seems to be that what the Bible is saying is that uh, after Adam, all of us were born into a condition in which we cannot find God. I think of Paul in Ephesians 2, um, you were children of wrath, you were sons of disobedience, you followed according to the prince of the power of the air. I mean, he's painting a very bleak picture. Of course, the great news is he gets to Ephesians 2, 4 and says, but God who is rich in mercy. But prior to that, his point is like, you are dead people. And you know when, when you think of a dead person, you don't think of someone who's only able to do a little bit. You think of someone who is incapable of anything. There's no life in them. And if that's true, if that's who I am, then it seems obvious that I'm in need of God causing, initiating, bringing about because of my incapability. Now, to be fair, there are problems on both sides, right? Because the problem on the other side would be that uh, if that's true, and I tend to believe it is, because I think that's a lesser problem than the other, uh, it's a, yeah, it's a lesser problem than the other side. Uh, But the other side would say, uh, why wouldn't God do that for everyone? Then is it, it's God's fault that there are people that are unsaved. Yeah, right. If th- God had the capability to save everyone, which... Of course he does. Of course right. he does. Right. Yeah. And he chose not right. to, then that's yeah. a problem. Yeah, I think... But, but it, it's, it, it is a problem, but it's not as big a problem, I think, as the one to say that there's something inside of me that makes me inherently better than somebody who is unsaved. I throw myself on the justice, on, on God being fair, whatever that means... Uh, with on the other side. Yeah, I think the the difficulty with, I mean, I think the question of if God could save everyone, why doesn't he is a good question. Uh, maybe a question for a whole nother podcast. But I think what I would say is the problem with that question, though, is it assumes the present state of humanity is passive. Like that, that uh, this idea that, well, why doesn't God, that's unfair if God doesn't intervene in everyone's life. And it's like, well, all of us exist in this state of alienation from God 
we participate in it. We, we're not just born into it. We we don't want to know God, or we want to know God, but only on our terms. You, you know, we we curse God when we don't get what we want. We we only appreciate God when we think we get what we want. I mean, these this is the state we live in. If left to our own devices, we will run away from God, not towards God. So, in some sense, you would say that. All those who live and die apart from God get exactly what they want, that no one is forcing them in that direction. That is the, the way we go, our hearts go, if left unimpeded. I think that's important. It doesn't fully solve that question, again, which is a good question, but I think it does make the point that it, it, it's not as though everyone is crying out, God save me, God save me, and then God picks you know, who cries the loudest or the best or who he is. No one's crying that out. But no one knows why God chooses who he chooses. Yeah, except for that it is not based on any kind of merit or acumen or uh, as though right. we deserve it. Or yeah, he it. seems, go seems out arbitrary, of though. Yeah, I suppose that's a question for God. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> right. if I can... Uh, yeah, he just seems to go out of his way to say, what I have done in your life is not because of you. Right. Because I think the natural human instinct is to take credit for it, right, is to somehow boast in ourselves. And, you know, even from the Old Testament to the New, from... Uh, Israel being freed from slavery in Egypt to us now and what Jesus has done for us, like, it's not because of your works. I can tell you that 17 times in 18 different ways, it is not because of you. It's my will, it's for my name, and it's for my glory. Yeah, I think... Right, and and that's that's the thing you have to keep in mind. When you're you're talking about predestination and election, the argument, you know, and I was playing the devil's advocate, but the argument of saying, well... uh, then it's not right, then God, it's all up to God and stuff. Um, that is the biblical, that is the biblical evidence, the biblical case for it a hundred percent. You cannot argue biblically that we have something to do with our salvation. Right? You just get you can do it, you can do it rationally, and that's the way people do it. It just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me, right? But you can't go to the Bible and say, this is why it doesn't make sense to me. This is the biblical evidence. And I think sometimes where you see this best is uh, in narrative form. Like, for example, in the story of Abram, uh, who becomes Abraham, that when God speaks to him in Genesis 12, he says to him, essentially, if I can paraphrase, start walking. I'm going to do something great in you. I'm going to make a family from you, and then from that family, I'm going to bless all the nations. And we don't know anything about Abram. We're not told he's righteous. We're not told. In fact, the the unfolding story is going to show us he's not. Uh, All we know is his father's name was Tehran, which is idiomatically linked to the worship of the moon god. So most likely, Abram is a Bedouin pagan who's living in the shadow of the Tower of Babel, this ultimate act of rebellion to God. And God says, start walking, I'm going to do this thing. There's nothing conditional about it. He doesn't say, if you do this, then I'll do that. He just says, start walking, I'm going to do this. And then in Genesis 15, there's this really powerful scene where God says to Abram, go get some animals and and divide them. And this was part of an ancient treaty where if you're making a deal with me, we'd get animals and we'd cut them in half and we'd make a path and then we'd walk through them and we would be saying, if I don't uphold my end of the deal, I should be torn apart like these animals. Yeah, we'd both walk through. That's right. We'd both walk through. And so Abram is getting ready to walk through and God causes him to fall asleep. And then while he's asleep, he sees God walk through. And the point is, God is saying, Abram, I'm not counting on you for this at all. You're counting on me. I'm going to keep this promise, or I'm going to be ripped in half. And of course, 
pointing forward to the Christ, Christ and saying, and actually in order to keep this promise, I will be kind of torn uh, in, in half. And the point there is Abram's sleeping. God is walking, Abram's sleeping. So when you see it in narrative form, you say, well, who, who's responsible for Abram's salvation? And the answer is inescapably God. He said, well, Abraham had faith. Well, sure he did, but in what promise? God had to make the promise. God had to uphold his end. And even if you say, well, in Genesis, uh, when he walks up the mountain with Isaac, right? He, he is choosing to trust. And you're saying, yeah, sure, but who's walking next to him? Isaac, the son that God had promised him, the son that God had given him. It is God's causation in Abram's life. The writer of Hebrews says, Abram knows God will raise Isaac from the dead if he has to. He has the walking, living, breathing promise right next to him. So when you put it in narrative form, sometimes you get out of the how you parse Romans 9, how you parse Ephesians 2, how you parse Ephesians 1. It's helpful to read the story and read the story of Abram and saying, who saved Abram. Right. It says in, in Romans, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And the thing that's behind that is that he had to have something to believe that's before right. he could make the decision to believe it. It's yeah, not because that... no one's saying you don't participate in your salvation. Clearly you do. You you trust the promises of God. You don't cause it. That that's the that's the thing is who's the catalyst? Who who initiates, who begins the process? Of course, we believe the promises of God, but only when overwhelmed by their evidence and grace through the Spirit's work in our lives, just as Abram was, just as Paul was, just as so many others were, and, and we stand in their number. Yeah, I think uh, I love your narrative point. The theological terms, predestination, election, like we should not like be ashamed of them. They're very biblical too, but it's also more helpful just to see it play out, right? So even in the book of Acts, you see people coming to know Jesus, and the question is, okay, how did that happen, right? So how does Lydia come to know Jesus. You know, it starts with Paul being called and saved by Jesus in a miraculous way, and then being sent on this mission trip, and then sharing the gospel. And it uses the language, uh, the Lord opened her heart, right? So if you don't like the term predestination or election or whatever, just begin to look to the New Testament, begin to look at the phrases of opening her heart, or even Acts 2, being cut to the heart. Yeah, what if we called it first cause? You know, the first cause, cause because when people hear predestination election, they immediately go to, uh, I am completely passive, everything that happens, I have no choice in it, it's the old thing, I, you know, the uh, Presbyterian who falls down the stairs and says, thank God that's over, Um, because everything is preordained, everything happens, and I think that's wrong. I think what, what we're trying to do is go back to the first cause. When you go all the way back, who initiates? Yeah, as long it's as what we God. mean is first cause in each, not just in sending Jesus, and, right, but right. in each individual life. Everyone. That the first because cause. Because the Bible says you're dead, right? Yeah. You're dead. There, there is no responding when you're dead. You're not sick. Yeah. You're dead in your trespasses. We are dead. So, But you know what's interesting to me is that in the New Testament, inescapably this is true, that the doctrine of predestination and election are meant as comforts. Right. They're not received that way in the American church. Like, wow, oh, well, what about my family member who's lost? They may never have a chance. What about? And like, I'm not saying those are bad questions, but the doctrine of, like, give me an example. In Acts 17, when Paul preaches at Mars Hill, he gets laughed off the stage. You know, it, 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 he, he stands up and he tries to share the gospel with these elite Greek thinkers and scholars, and they laugh him off the stage. And then there's this little verse in the end that says, but as many were appointed to salvation believed. And you think, why is that there? Because the writer of Acts is saying, don't worry, he got laughed off the stage, but don't worry, God kept moving. 
God kept doing what he was going to do. I mean, the idea is that nothing, no matter how dark the world gets, no matter how much the culture turns against Christianity, the, the idea is that nothing can stop what God's doing, that God is on the move, that God is working. And far from defeating you about your lost family member or friend, the idea is supposed to be no matter how far away you think they might be, if God is the first cause, then no one is beyond his reach. But if he is not the first cause, if you are waiting for your family member or friend to awaken, that may sound comforting to you, but the idea is you're saying this family member or friend who, let's say, is 45 years old and for 45 years has been walking opposite direction of God, your hope is that, what, one day they'll wake up and just decide to be a totally different person? Would you rather hope in that or would you rather hope in this idea that God is on the move and he cannot be thwarted? I mean, again, it seems so faulty to trust in the family member or friend. Now, one of the things that people will say was, then, well, what's the reason to ever share? If it's all, if God's going to do that with or without me sharing, then why should I share? Why do I share the gospel? I feel like this question comes up to, this may seem like a tangent, but in prayer too, like why pray, right? So why pray? Because it's... God already a, knows what's going to happen. He's right. already determined. He has the power to stop it. So... And okay, so for prayer, you look towards Jesus who taught us to pray, right? So it's kind of like, we don't understand everything, but there is a model for how we pray there. Um, and then you begin to look at Paul, right? So Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, who wrote most of uh, the language and theology we have around election, predestination, um, probably the greatest missionary, period. Yeah. So somehow his belief in God's sovereign work to appoint people to believe, to open up their hearts, to cut them to the heart, whatever language you want to use, um, fueled his desire Energized to go to places him, right. that no one had ever heard the gospel. Yeah. And so... Well, I, I think that goes back to what, what Zach was even just saying, that yeah. if you, as a missionary, if Paul would have said, well, this location, it's pretty clear that they are so far from God that they have years of work to even be close. Yeah. And that did not underlie his... That wasn't his ethos. He was more saying, I believe that God is fully capable of intervening and breaking in in such a way that it starts a movement. But the reason why is because Paul was convinced that God cared more about lost people than he than he ever could. I mean, don't forget, Paul's on the road to Damascus, breathing murderous threats against the church, and God knocks him on the ground and saves him. So when he's in a Philippian jail and an earthquake comes, his first instinct isn't to run. His first instinct is to say, God's doing something. And the Philippian jailer is going to take his own life, and Paul says, don't do it. You need to hear about Jesus. Like, that's the point. Paul was saying, if God's the first cause... Then I'm looking all the time for where is he moving, who who is he reaching? And I think the answer to why you share the gospel, I'll give you two reasons right now. One is that Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So fundamentally, you talk about Jesus because you are preoccupied with Jesus. If you aren't talking about Jesus, not because of doctrine of predestination, it's because he's not what's in your heart. And that's Jesus saying, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. So if you want to talk about Jesus, fill your heart with Jesus. That That's first. You talk about what you love regardless of purpose. You just talk about it because you love it. But second of all, it is clear that even though God is the first cause, the means through which he works is is his are his people. It, it's the church. It's the it, it, We are the medium for the message so that even though in Philippi, in Philippi, God is sending the earthquake, it's Paul who's talking to the jailer. And that's how God has decided to work. So what we can't do is say, if I'm not the cause of my neighbor's salvation, 
I, I can't participate and be the means. Those are two different things. Right. God is doing the saving, because if he's you were doing the cause, it through His the people, pressure would be oh, so goodness. enormous. Well, well right? as someone who sometimes preaches, I couldn't do it. No. I mean, it would be overwhelming. I'd be suicidal when you preach a sermon because, look, I think everyone who's preached has had the experience where you pour your guts out on stage, and, and you, you after the service, you just hear everybody saying, so what are we doing for lunch? <laughs> and you think, I didn't affect anyone in any way. And yeah, I don't know how you would recover from that. Yeah. I think one of, you know, one of the biggest problems people have with this idea of God being the first cause is then the hard thing about that is that means that if you take that logic to its logical conclusion, then not only is God choosing who is saved, he's also choosing who isn't saved. And so there's this, we talked about it earlier, this feeling of this is arbitrary. But I think, as Joe said earlier, the alternative is worse, where if somebody doesn't come to faith in Christ, it was because we didn't do enough to yeah. help them get down the And the, the road question of him. arbitrariness is a character assessment of God. Right. It, it may seem arbitrary it's much to you. Better, it's much better to trust God. Yeah, but and it's that, really that, a question and, of can you what, trust him? And that's is he what Paul says, yeah. right? And, you know, when Paul struggles with that, he says God makes some some vessels for this and some vessels for that. And that is his prerogative. Yeah. And he just says, if if I can trust God with my soul, if, I, if we can trust God with any salvation at all, we can trust him to make these kinds of decisions. Yeah, He's the only one Absolutely. Can That's one, one of the fundamental assumptions, I think, that we make as human beings that is faulty, is that we assume because we don't understand the reasoning for something that God does, that the reasoning doesn't, it, it must not, not exist. a good reason. Yeah. Yeah. It must not exist. Yeah. So let me also give you one other way this doctrine is helpful, and that is in in how you talk to people about Jesus. Because uh, in my previous work at, at City Church in Cleveland, you know, we engaged a lot of people who were, quote unquote, far from, from uh, God. That's where everyone lives. But you would have said intellectually, lifestyle, they're far from God. And believing that God is the cause allowed me to do two things. One is it allowed me to not put pressure. I didn't have to manipulate. I didn't have to bring pressure. I didn't have to force right then for a decision. They were often waiting for that. Like, at what point are you going to press me? At what point are you going to ask me a prayer, prayer, sign a card? And I could just say, look, I want to be available to you. I want to talk. You tell me when you don't want to talk about this anymore. We'll switch gears. Well, it allowed me to kind of put them in the driver's seat almost, understanding that the Holy Spirit was at work. The second thing it allowed me to do was to call it out when I saw it. I mean, I remember meeting with people at a coffee shop all the time and saying to them, why do you keep meeting with me? Why do you keep asking these questions? And they would just say, I don't know. And I would say, I can tell you why. God is so clearly at work in your life. Like six months ago, if I'd have told you you'd been meeting at a coffee shop with a pastor, you'd have laughed. And they would laugh and say, yeah, that's true. I said, what's changed? God is doing... And I would talk to them about the Holy Spirit. And I would talk to them about the Spirit's work of conviction and saying, look, God, the God of the universe has started something in your heart and in your mind. And, And they would resonate with that. For them, the idea that God was the first cause was comforting. It was an attractive, and, and again, that's what it's meant to be. And I was able, and even for me as the evangelist then, to be excited by the fact that I wasn't asking God to please care about my lost friend like I do. I was identifying that he was at work before me and it's in fun. ways it's, I can't It's be. fun to talk to somebody when you see God at work in them. Yeah. I remember meeting with a guy that was uh, uh, an agnostic, and uh, he met with me, and I said, well, why are we meeting? And he said, because every time I come to church, I start to cry, and I want, to, I want you to make it stop. And, I'm, and I started to laugh, and I said to him, uh, wow, uh, listen, you are coming to God. You can come the easy way or the hard way, but 
every time I've seen somebody start to cry like that, I, I can't make it stop because I didn't I didn't yeah. make it start. Right? Yeah, and that's something's and happening that is, inside I mean, of you. What you're describing there is New Testament spiritual power. I mean, that is that like that stuff you read in the Bible. Right. Just being able to call out to someone the movement of God in their lives, like, hey, God is doing this is not me. God is doing something. I mean, that's really exciting. But that can only be true if God is the first cause. So I have a I have a question just that kind of just popped in my mind while you telling that while you were telling that story. So when God initiates and is the first cause, uh, at that point, do we have any influence or control over the pace or the process? Because like you just said, what you said to that person was, you know, you can come the easy way or the hard way. Is that true? Is there a easy way? Is there a hard yeah. way? How does... I don't know. It just sounded like a fun thing to say yeah. at, the, at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. I think it's true. I think it's possible. But two weeks later, he came He, he came walking up in easy the church way. service. He the easy way. Crying. No, it, it, it felt hard to him <laughs> because he did not... He. I remember asking him, how does it how does it sound to you to become a born-again Christian? And he laughed because he, th- he that was so far away from what he was thinking. And I said, man, you, it, it's, it's going to happen. Yeah. I've, I've, and it has nothing to do with me. Two weeks later, comes forward, just says, sobbing, saying, I'm ready to give my life to, yeah, to Jesus. Yeah, I think it's possible that here is a point at which I'd say both. I think you definitely participate in it. Like you, you respond to the movement of God. I mean, for, maybe you're listening to this podcast, you're not a Christian, and you've been coming to CCC and you listen to podcasts. You think, what am I doing? I'm, I'm listening to this podcast. And I would say, look, you are participating. You put the podcast on, you hit play, you, you are. Yeah. yeah, you're engaging. Yeah. But, and yet the current is, is, is God. I think that's the way I would say is you can be in a boat, you can be paddling. But the current is what's moving you, and uh, you can paddle or not paddle. But the current is moving you. Can try you. to paddle against the current. You yeah, can, but yeah. it's it's stronger yeah. than you. Maybe that's and, going and hard, I think, the hard way. Yeah, and I think that's the story of a lot of people. I would always say to people that becoming a Christian is a little bit like falling in love in the sense that if you meet, well, you sit down with one couple and you say, "How'd you guys meet?" and they tell a story of love at first sight, a new right away. Then you sit down with another couple and they say, "We were friends for years. We didn't see it until all of a sudden." And I hear a lot of people's stories where they'll say, "I came to one church service." or heard one sermon, turned on one radio program, I met Jesus. That's great. Then other people will say, you know, I was coming for a while. I didn't believe, I didn't believe, I didn't believe. And then I woke up one day and said, oh my goodness, I believe this stuff. And I think in either case, what we're saying is that the cause of that, instantaneous or over time, was was God himself. And what that means then, you can say, well, what does that mean about choice? And what does that mean about... And those are good questions. But what it means more than anything is that we have a God who is active and on the move to save people all the time. And if you're a Christian, it is because God himself began something in your life uh, that has brought about your salvation. What an amazing, amazing story. And that's why we'd say, and I think this is Paul's point in Ephesians 2, every single salvation is a miraculous event that began when God was rich in mercy. Praise God. That's amazing. You've been listening to Church Unplugged, and one of the things we want to continue to do is make the connection between our faith in Jesus and our everyday lives. So if you have a question or topic that you'd like to hear discussed, feel free to email us at churchunplugged at ccchapel.com. And if you want more information about Christ Community Chapel, our church, you can go to our website, which is www.ccchapel.com. Thanks for listening.